Yeah, I guess when you're 200 years old, uh, <laughs> you came before everything. Um, it's really my honor to be here. Um, I've heard rumors about you and uh, great things that God is doing in this fellowship. And to be invited in as one of the older guys in the city to speak to to you all and, and asking the Lord to say something through me that would make a difference in you, um, that's my prayer. And really, uh, I, I really just would ask as we begin, just, just be praying for this time right now. Um, because I believe there's something the Lord wants to say to you today, he wants to say back to me, even as I say what I'm going to say, I'm learning from my own words, I'm learning from God even as I say things, I'm saying, Lord, is that true of me as well? You know, um, years ago, I was your age, <laughs> like a hundred years ago, uh, young 30s, and I was youth pastor at a church here in Austin, Texas, and I had a heart for the university that the Lord had put on my mind and my heart. And I went to the senior pastor and I said, hey, would, would you be willing to bless me and bless whoever wants to go over to this little church on 45th and Red River? It's called Red River Church now. But in the day, it was called First Evangelical Free Church. Now, that is very easy to pronounce. Say it three times. Um, and I said to this guy, this pastor, lovely, godly man, would you be willing to, to send me over with a blessing and then bless whoever wants to go with us? And this church over here, First TV Free, we called it, was about 70 old people, 70 people over the age of 70. <laughs> and you won't believe this, but 200 college students went with us to First TV Free and about 20 families. And in one Sunday, the church went from 70 to over 300. Can you believe that? Now, what was remarkable was there were people who had worshipped in that church all their lives. They had been born in that church. They had been baptized and dedicated and all those sorts of things. And so here are all these students coming and, and, and taking their seats. And it was just, you know, I thought, this is going to be terrible. But no, it's just the opposite. Those people have been praying for revival forever. And when this group of young people came to join in... And to be friends with them, they, this older crowd just welcomed them, just loved on them. It was just beautiful. It was just beautiful. There was one couple in that older crowd that stood out, Alan Joanne Likens. He kind of talked like this. He, you know, he, he would make the announcements. And often he would say things that I'd have to apologize for. It was terrible. And his wife, Joanne, stood at his side, and the two of them were the most hospitable people in that entire crowd. They welcome those young people, those college students, with open arms. So you have to imagine, about three years into it, when I got a, I got a call from Al, and he said, Pastor Rob, he's crying, please come over to the house right now. Now, what's up, Al? He said, Joanne's collapsed in the back bedroom. I've called EMS and they're on their way. But I don't know if she's alive. She's not responsive. I don't know what to do. 
So I got in the car as fast as I could, and EMS beat me there, and they'd gone back in the bedroom and pronounced her gone. And I remember just thinking to myself, what in the world do I do now? Like, Joanne's so important to what you're doing here, God. I mean, why would you let this happen, Lord? And I'm just wrestling in my spirit, poor Al is just weeping, and his son and daughter-in-law are there, and they're all weeping. They're just so desperate. And I just said to the Lord, Lord, what am I supposed to do? In fact, I'll ask it as a more general principle. Have there been times in your life where you were so desperate for an intervention of the power of God, you didn't know what to do? Where you just were sitting there and you're going, Lord, this circumstance is so difficult. This separation, this relational brokenness, this, this stuff is more than I can handle. Oh God, if I pray, will you do something in power in this situation? Anyone ever been there where you just wanted God to show up? So I said to Al, do you think it'd be okay for us to pray that God would raise Joanne from the dead? Now, I'm just telling you, I've never asked anybody that before. And I've never prayed with anybody that way before or since. But I thought I'd ask. And Al said, well, let's pray. So we go in the bedroom, get down on our knees, putting our hands on our shoulders. Oh, God, would you raise Joanne back to life? And I just waited. And I'm telling you, I was so hopeful that God would have done that. But after waiting what seemed to be like two hours, which was only a minute, nothing happened. I raised up and I looked at Al and I, I said, what do you want to do? He looked at me like, what do you want to do? And I said, well, Al, are you ready to let her go? Yeah. And we let her go. I want God's power to be manifested in my life, through my life, and all around me. And, and maybe it's not by raising people from the dead. That's, that's an article you would write. You would write a book on that if it happened. But you know what? When I think about the power of God, if He would just show up to help me live the life He intends for me to live, that would be enough for me. If God just gave me the kind of marriage I needed to have to be a godly witness, if, if God would intervene in the lives of people I love, if God would bring home those prodigals, if, if, if God would just show up in power in normal, everyday living, that'd be enough for me. How about you? But you know, honestly, I see in my observation of life so often, that's not the way we're choosing to live. In other words, by default, we're living lives of defeat. And is that what God has for us? Or does God want us in just a few moments to walk out of this place with the expectation that we are going to live victorious 
experiencing God's power over sin in our lives, over the things around us, is that God's desire and will for our lives? I, I think so. So if there was a formula, if there were four steps you could take, three things you could do, would you want to know what they are? I would. But I'm sorry to say there is no such thing. But in Acts chapter 1, we're, giving a, we're given a clue that I think is helpful. Now, you know what happens in Acts chapter 2, right? The church is born. Supernaturally, they're gathered together praying in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit comes down and begins to give them languages they've never ever personally studied, and they're speaking in the languages of the people gathered from all over the world for the day of Pentecost, and the church is born, 3,000 people in one day. Isn't that something? I love that. But in Acts chapter 1, before that great outpouring of God's power, there's some hints that I think we need to pick up, that I think if we could somehow see these things as choices in our life in the way we should prepare to see the power of God, that perhaps we'd experience more of the power of God. So would you open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 1, and I want to do something a little bit different. I want to ask you to stand in honor of God's Word. Would you stand? Acts chapter 1, I'll put it here on the screen. Luke writes these words, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God and on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel, he said to them, No, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Now, watch this, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit is coming upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking to the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Our Father, we pray that you take the words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart, and make them pleasing in your sight, O God. Lord, speak to us, please about your power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. So like I said, there's no formula here. That would be unwise of me to make a suggestion. But I do think there's a couple principles, if we just go a little deeper and, and look again at what we just read, that seem to place 
those disciples in a position to receive that power, to experience that power in Acts chapter 2. So I give you four principles, and here's the first of those principles. I think to prepare to receive God's power, it all begins with this, understanding God's truth. Look again at verses 1 through 3. Now, what did Jesus want to teach His disciples? What did He want them to understand about God's truth before He left? Well, if you look, look, it says here, He wanted to give them convincing proofs that He was alive. So, He was proving that. Secondly, He wanted to teach them an understanding about God's kingdom. Third, He was giving specific instructions to the disciples, and fourth, something we don't think about, he probably taught them some things that we don't read about here. So private things. He, he might even have set up the kind of order or who's going to be in charge of what, but that's what he did. So when we summarize it, we say, whom did he instruct? The apostles. Through whom did he teach them? The Holy Spirit. How long did he teach them? For 40 days. And what ended that teaching was his ascension into heaven. Now, this is something we often don't think about. I used to think of it differently, but after Jesus' resurrection, he was on the earth for 40 days. And we don't think about that normally. We usually think he resurrected, and off he went. He had a couple meetings with the disciples, and that sort of thing, and off he went. No, no, he was here for 40 days. There's a lot that Jesus taught those early disciples in those 40 days. But the point is, is this. Is it possible to experience the power of God without understanding God's truth? Well, the answer is yes, but it's not likely. Because God can do anything, right? He can show us His power, whether we know His truth or not. But He's saying to us, we should begin by understanding His truth. Now, there's a couple reasons why we don't pursue God's truth, and here's a couple I think about. Um, we just choose not to do it. We come here on Sunday, and our pastor preaches 30, 50, two hours, whatever, and, and that's what we think that there is. That's it. We don't ever look at the Word again. Or a second reason why we don't understand God's truth is because we don't persevere in it. We read it, it seems too hard, and, and we just forget about it. Uh, or another reason we don't understand God's truth is because we don't accept it. Or let me say it this way, like James says, we look in the mirror at ourselves, but go away and forget what we saw. And here's another reason why we don't understand God's truth, and it's very simple. We don't ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to us. Now, I am a... I am seminary educated and all of that, and I love my professors, and I love scholarship and all that, but I'm going to tell you something. Don't go to the commentaries first. Go to the Holy Spirit first. You're reading God's Word, and you're, and you're working through it, and you're not sure exactly what it says, Holy Spirit. Would you speak to my heart what this truth in written form is saying? Why do we do that? Because Jesus says that's what you're supposed to do. The Spirit, when He comes, will teach you all things. So, first principle in moving towards experiencing 
God's power is understanding God's truth. But here's the second principle. You ready? If we're going to see the manifestation of God's power in our lives, I think it involves waiting on God's presence. Look at verse 4. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. You know, if I were the disciples, I know it's just in my soul. It's the way I'm wired. As soon as Jesus left, I'd get busy. That's just the way I am. Isn't that the way a lot of us are? We read something from the Bible and we go and try to teach it to somebody without it ruminating in our spirit. We haven't even learned it ourselves, but we're so anxious to tell other people what we learn that we just leave the place and don't wait on God. But look, the Bible says we should wait. In fact, it says it so many places, not just here. Let me show you a couple passages. And I want you to I want you to go with me just a minute. I want you, when you see the word wait, say it with me. Psalm 38, 15. I will wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord, my God. Isaiah 30, 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for Him. Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And my favorite passage in the Bible, it's my life verse, Isaiah 40.31, those who wait for the Lord will gain strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. Now, here you go. This has got a lot of them. Psalm 130, verse 5 and 6. I wait, oh, you're getting slow here now. Here we go. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I will put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman waits for the morning, more than the watchman waits for the morning. Can I ask you a question? You think the Bible (laughs) wants us to wait? You think God wants us to wait? Does he want us to like take a moment and take it in before we rush in? He wants us to wait. Now, why does he want us to wait? There's a couple of reasons. One is, is because it demonstrates our total dependence on God if we wait on God. It strips us from thinking that we're in charge. And it gives God space to work things out in his way and his time. That's why we wait. Now, we're going to do a little experiment here. You ready? For 30 seconds, I'm going to ask you to wait on God. And I'm going to ask you in the 30 seconds, which is going to sound or feel to some of you like three hours, but for others, it's going to be glorious. 30 seconds is all. Wait on the Lord for 30 seconds and just say to him, Lord, is there anything you want to speak to my spirit? You ready? 30 seconds. Here we go. Thirty seconds. 
Lord say anything to your heart? Did you hear anything from him? Did he give you something from his written word that he just applied to you? Something remarkable happens when we wait on God. There's a third principle I want you to see here that I think puts us in a position to experience the power of God, and it has to do with this. Thirdly, it calls for us to gather with God's people. Look at verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you going to restore your kingdom to Israel? Now, when I first was studying this passage, I didn't see this. I, I didn't get my mind around this idea of coming together. Now, I would say to you, I love personal prayer. That's important for all of us to do, have time alone with the Lord. But I think there's also a huge value in a local assembly like this coming together to understand the direction of God, praying and seeking Him together. In fact, let me just show you this from the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, this idea of coming together, as they gathered together, God gave wisdom as they chose the next disciple. Acts 2.1, as they gathered together, God sent His Holy Spirit and the church is born. Acts chapter 3, as they gathered together, God met everyone's needs in the body. Acts 6.2, as they gathered together, God gave them wisdom on how to take care of a widow's need. Acts 13, as they gathered together, God identified Saul and Barnabas to be sent out by the church as missionaries. Acts 15, as they gathered together, God gave them wisdom about the Jews and Gentiles being together in one body. Now, that's what Hebrews says. It says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but, but gather together especially because you know the days are evil, that you might spur one another on to good works. Now, very practically, I want to say something I always say wherever I go because it saved my life. We need each other. And honestly, if I had not had other human beings, other believers in my life, I don't think I would have I don't think I'd be here talking to you. I, I needed buddies to, to lean over when I was on the edge of like taking somebody out verbally in a church business meeting <laughs> to tap my leg and say, it's not worth it. I needed people when I was having difficulty with certain VDPs, very draining people to come alongside and, and speak life into me. And, and honestly, you need people. In fact, everybody in this room needs three people in your life at least. You ready? Everyone here needs a Paul, every single person. Now, Paul is someone who's just a little further along in this walk with Jesus, someone that can be your mentor, someone you can bring an agenda to and say, hey, I'm just thinking these things. Tell me if I'm thinking the right way. And you just have that person who's wise. And most of the time, they don't do the talking. They do the listening. But they're there for you. Secondly, everybody here needs at least one Barnabas and maybe more. 
someone that's along with you in the journey. They're kind of where you are spiritually, and they, they come alongside, and they're a friend. In fact, I call them capital F friends, not little f, but capital F friends. And honestly, you only have about five of them capital F friends in your life at any one time. The third person you need in your life is a Timothy. And why do you need a Timothy? Someone that's just a little bit behind you, someone that you're discipling, bringing along. You know why you need them? Not so much for their sake, but for yours. They hold you accountable. You're telling them how to live their lives a little bit from Scripture and all the while thinking, am I doing this myself? Everybody needs that. Now, here's what I'm going to say to you. I've been in transition about a year and a half ago. I stepped down as a senior pastor. I'm pastor emeritus of Austin Oaks Church. And I, I, I kind of do a, a broader global kind of ministry now. And um, you would think that what I'm preaching to you right now, I would have gotten it by now. But I'm just going to tell you, some of my days in this past year and a half have been the most isolated, lonely moments of my life. Where I just, instead of talking to people and initiating with people, like I would, you would see people every Sunday, so you kind of had a forced interaction, right? I pulled it in. And I have to say to you, I've never had some of the thoughts I had. Like, some of the roads my mind goes down and and some of the weirdness, I never have experienced it. And here's the reason I'm saying this to you. I, by default, found myself isolated. Listen, and I'm a pastor. And I'm standing before you saying what's important. And my point is, if I, a person who's taught this whole thing of Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy all my life can find myself without a Paul, Barnabas, or a Timothy. I know that's your temptation too. We need each other. We need each other to save one another's lives. We need to speak into people's lives. We need to look them in the eyes. We need to ask them, how are you doing? We need to be honest and say to people, Here's what's going on inside of me. We need each other. There's one last principle I want you to see here that has something to do with putting us in the position to experience the magnificent power of God. So far we've said it calls for understanding God's truth, waiting in God's presence, gathering with God's people, but I think this last one is the most important. If we want to see the power of God have an opportunity to manifest itself in our daily lives, I think it is so rooted on this last principle, we need to know the person of God. That's so important. I mean, what else matters? And you know, honestly, I hope I know God. I hope I know Him. I, I think I do. I think I've walked with him long enough to understand something of the way he thinks, something of the way that is his will, his ways. I hope I do. But I want you to see this. It's very interesting. Verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. 
And as they were looking intently into the sky as he was going, suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking to the sky? Watch this. Circle this in your Bible. They, the angels say, this same Jesus. And what does that mean? That means if Jesus had to come back a week later, the disciples would have recognized him. You know why? Because there was a generation that actually gazed into the visible eyes of Jesus. There was a generation that actually got a hug from Jesus, a touch from Jesus. That when Jesus said, hey, I'm out here on the water. Can you see me walking? They said, that's his voice. They knew his voice. They heard his voice. I'm so envious of those guys. There was a generation that could shake his hand, pat him on the back, receive from him in physical presence. Is that awesome? Now, one day... So will we. In a day to come, we will do that. We will give a hug to Jesus and he'll give a hug to us. Is that awesome? We'll hear his voice. We will know his voice. No mistaking it. And honestly, this is how I think about it. I'm a little strange how I think about some things, but if Jesus came from behind that curtain just now, and, and, and walked out here. First off, I hope I would recognize him. I hope I don't say, hey, who are you? No, I hope I go, oh, it's Jesus. And I hope you guys would do the same thing. It's Jesus. And I don't think he's going to be wearing a robe necessarily. I've got to figure it out. The radiant glory of him is Jesus. I always think like this, I think. Jesus came and stood right here at the podium. I would say... Why don't you take it from here? Because <laughs> I'm not sure I'm getting it all right. And I know he's going to get it all right, right? But I would look at him and I would so rejoice that the same Jesus is standing in my very presence and your presence. I envy that generation, don't you? But the Bible says, without the visible presence, excluding that, we can come in to the presence of Jesus. Do you know that? First John, they say, we're writing these things to you so that you can have fellowship with us and fellowship with the Father. And they say, we're writing this so you can know Jesus. Or John 15, Jesus says, listen, if you have my words and my words abide in you, ask what you will, uh, I'll do whatever. Wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there. Jesus is there. Listen, Jesus is here. And if it's true that the book of Revelation is a description of what he does in the midst of his local assemblies, Right now, even as we speak and are listening, Jesus is walking the aisles of this place. He's in our midst. And even if he is located in one space because he has a body, 
I'll tell you something else. His spirit is here. And every person that names him as their Lord, who's been saved by his grace, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You are the dwelling place of God on the earth. Can you believe that? I need to stop. Can you believe that? He is here. And would it be such a big thing for His power to be manifested in our midst since He's here? You know, going back to that opening story, some of you are going to leave today and you're going to say, man, that was the weirdest story. You prayed for a dead person? Seriously? You think we should listen to anything else you said after you said that? Yes, I did. I, I prayed for a dead person. And the, the dead person didn't come back to life. But you know what? I believe the power of God could have raised her. Still do. And I believe the power of God can show up in your life. And I believe the power of God can save that friend that's so obstinate towards the gospel. And I believe that same power of God can turn your parents around. And that same God can turn your marriage around. And that same God can, can fill you up so that you don't walk in sadness every single day. And that same God can give you the power to have victory over your besetting sin. I believe that with all my heart. And every once in a while, God reminds me why I should believe that. I'll tell you a quick closing story. My son went to A&M, all six of you, and the booze now from the UT side. Yes, there we go. You guys aren't very bold as Aggies. What was the deal with that? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, sorry. So my son is an Aggie, construction science major, and he builds embassies around the world. That's what he does. He's lived in 11 countries. And uh, right now, he lives in Saudi Arabia. Um, when he was in Djibouti, and it's not a body part, I'm just saying. It's not your booty, it's a country. Uh, he was building a communication center there. And he meets this lovely young woman from France. So... A kid from Austin who went to A&M, is living in Djibouti, meets a girl from France. Can you believe it? God's got a sense of humor, I'm just saying. And they start dating. And um, they start getting serious. Only problem is, she doesn't know anything about the gospel. Preacher's kid little girl from France that grew up totally secular, has never heard anything. She has no knowledge. Paul, Barnabas, Jesus, Adam, Eve, she doesn't have any clue who these people are. But she's lovely and wonderful. And the tension is growing in our family because my son's getting more and more involved with this young lady, falling in love with her and she with him. They're a lovely couple, but have, they have something missing. So my daughter, Kylie, and my wife, 
Kathy are just like, there's so much tension in our family. What's going to happen with this one? And they're pretty articulate, both of them, and they're letting Stephen know what they think. And the bottom line, listen, is Stephen, you're the problem, not Lord. You're not being salt and light. Why aren't you sharing the gospel with her? And the more they say that to him, you know what happens to a young man? Right? He's not listening. So they come home to Austin, and we're in my backyard, and I'm kind of thinking, Lord, would you give me, say, an hour with her to share the gospel? Maybe a glass of French wine would help and all that sort of thing. And <laughs> so we didn't have any French wine, but we did have a, a shiner. That was it. So... <laughs> And starting in Genesis, I shared with her the gospel. And if you haven't ever heard it, it's simply these four concepts. The gospel is what was, what is, what can be, and what will be. What was, Genesis 1 and 2, God's intent. What is, Genesis 3, brokenness and fallenness. What can be, the gospel of Jesus. What will be, one day we get to go to heaven forever. That's it. And I get to the end of my masterful gospel presentation. And thousands were saved. But not her. I said to her, so what do you think, Lauren? She said, I, I want to believe, but I, I just can't believe. And I said, oh? And she said, no. She goes, I'm not anti-theist but I am atheist. Oh, wow. And she knows the whole gospel now, and she's still like an atheist? Are you kidding me? She was talking to me for an hour, and she's still an atheist? And they're still in love. So, they come home a second time. Six months later, now it's Kathy on that couch, Lore, Stephen, and me. That gives you a picture of what was about ready to happen. Like a courtroom kind of deal. And Kathy just says, she's lovely, she says, um, we just have to talk about this. And she says, Stephen, the issue is not Lore, the issue is you. Have you shared the gospel with Lord? Lord, we think you're lovely. And Lord goes, Kathy, could I say something? Raises her hand. And she tells us the story of being in Columbia, South America, visiting her sister in a Catholic cathedral all by herself, massive building. And she's sitting there in this building and she says, God, I know the facts of the good news. Would you convince me in my heart that it's true? Would you speak to my heart? And let me tell you what happened. The Holy Spirit of God came upon Lore and transformed her from death to life, from being lost to being in Christ in that moment by the power of His Holy Spirit. Is that awesome? So, on December 9th, I married my son, 
and his bride, Lore, in a little chapel here in Austin. The day before, December 8th, Lore had asked me to baptize her, and I did so in a local pool. <laughs> and December 7th, you remember what happened in Austin, it snowed. So there we were in our duck waders in the pool, <laughs> baptizing gloriously. So here's what I want to say to you. God wants to show you His power. God wants you to say to Him, trust me for your transformation. God wants to say to you, trust me for that relationship. Let me show you my power. Lord, thank you so much for this wonderful gathering of eager seekers and believers. Lord, I just want to pray in this moment. I don't want to embarrass anyone in any kind of way, but Lord, just as you look at our hearts today, I just believe there are people who are struggling. They want to know your power, God. They want to see their lives transformed by the Holy Spirit. They want to see those they love come to faith. They want to see a manifestation of who you are. And so, Lord, would you just listen to the voices of the saints? Listen to the voices of the people who want to know you who cry out to you. Show us, O oh God, your power. In Jesus' name we pray.